presence. But Lord, you've promised to be with us and to never leave us or forsake us. Lord, our hope today is found in you. Because of Jesus, we now know that we are secure. So Lord, I pray that you would replace fear with faith in us today, that your word would do a great work in us to make us more and more like Christ. I pray for our children as they go back to OPBC Kids Worship. And I I pray that today would be a day where many of their hearts would be turned to know and to honor and to trust and love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to dismiss the kids to go back to OPBC Kids Worship now. You guys head on back. If you're a guest with us and you want to walk your children back, you can get them settled back there. The teachers are back there waiting for them. They're going to have a great time learning more about Jesus. And the rest of us, I'm going to ask us to turn to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. I also want to take this opportunity, if I could, to thank our children's workers. So some are in the back right now, but others are in here. And I want to thank you for your work with our children. It's such a a treasure to have people who are willing to invest in the lives of our kids. And we're actually having a meal right after this uh, service uh, to thank our children's workers. But I wanted to give this, or just take this opportunity to thank you. And if you're a parent or a grandparent here and somebody has been uh, loving your child back in OPBC Kids or OPBC Kids Worship, would you just thank the Lord for them today for their willingness to serve? Because you know how difficult your children are. And uh, they put up with them. So... um, But I I just praise the Lord for our workers, our volunteers. Exodus chapter 4, as we continue on in Exodus, and we're at this point where God has revealed himself to Moses. God has made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is a covenant God who has made covenant with them that he would make for himself a people. Out of one man who the Bible says was basically already dead, Abraham, He would make a mighty nation, a nation of many people, and all the nations would be blessed. But he also promised that he would give them a land. Now there are a couple million people among the Hebrew people, so he's kept that side of the promise. But what about the land? How are the people going to be brought out of slavery in Egypt, slavery in Egypt, into the promised land that God has said is theirs, into Canaan? And he tells in chapter 3, God shows up. To Moses in a quote unquote burning bush, a bush bush that is on fire but not actually burning, and begins to reveal himself to Moses and reveal the promise and the plan that he has to use Moses to go and deliver his people. And Moses is full of excuses. And that's what chapter 4 is really all about is Moses' excuses. All his fears come to light in the presence of God. And before we give Moses too hard of a time, Let's just go ahead and openly admit here that God has called us to things specifically and we have disobeyed. Let's just go ahead and lay it all out on the table that it's really easy for us to point a finger at Moses and said, if he showed, God showed up in a burning bush to me, no way would I say, but what if, but what if, but what if. I'd just be all in. Okay, maybe it hasn't been burning bushes. Maybe it's been his word telling you who you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to do, and we haven't done it. And we can come up with all kinds of justifications. It's easy to come up with justifications and so-called reasons that we can let other people come up with those same things and we would call them excuses. Right? You know the difference between an excuse and a reason? Perspective. It's really all it is. If God has called us to do it, we should do it. But let's, let's 
give a little bit of slack here to Moses because we find ourselves in the same situation often. He did have a burning bush in front of him, so he may be held to a little bit of a higher standard than the rest of us, but God has given us his full and final authority in his word, and so often we hear it and we say, "Mm, today? Me? Now? Really? And that's really what we're going to get from Moses here. Today? Me? Now? Really? That's a dangerous place to be, and yet God is gracious and continues to call out his people and use us for his purposes and for his glory. So would you just follow along here in chapter 4? We'll read the first 17 verses. It says this, And Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Just a few verses earlier, God had said, You will speak to the elders and they will believe you. Just a few verses, like two phrases earlier. God says they're going to believe you. And he says, but they won't believe me because they won't believe that the Lord appeared to me. And the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it, smart guy. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. What's the one thing you don't do with the snake? Grab it by the tail. Grab the snake by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. God has already promised to be with him. Now he makes it more specific. I'm going to be with your mouth, and I will teach you what to speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Ah, is that not really what we're after? With all of the reasons or excuses or justifications that we can come up with what we really want is just use somebody else this puts him in a bad spot because then the anger of the lord was kindled against moses and he said oh but here's god in his anger and he still shows mercy and grace is there not aaron your brother the levite i know that he can speak well behold he is coming out to meet you and when he sees you he will be glad in his heart You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. This could have been simple, Moses, but you just made it really difficult. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be his God to him. I'll I'll give you what to say, and he will say it for you. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. 
God gave Moses a commission and a command. I'm going to send you to deliver my people out of bondage into the promised land. He promised his presence. He said, I'll be with you. He prophetically told him that when you go and talk to the elders, they'll believe you. But still, Moses struggled with fear. Still, Moses struggled with fear when God had promised him all of this and shown his power. Moses still struggled with fear. Do we struggle with fear? What is it that keeps us from obedience? It's fear. We can, we can call it by a whole lot of other names, but really what it boils down to is fear. And here we see two specific fears coming out in Moses' life and in his reasons or excuses before God, in his questions to God. The first of these is he feared because of his lack of qualification as God's messenger. Moses feared obeying God because of his lack of qualification as God's messenger. He had already said, who am I to do this? Then he says, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Who are you to tell us what God said? There's no way God showed up to you. And honestly, if we're being taking an honest assessment of Moses, this is a pretty legitimate fear. Forty years of being in Pharaoh's household, right? Now 40 years removed from Egypt. He had been gone for 40 years. 40 years. That's a long time. The people who may have remembered him no longer remember him. Or if they remember him, they only remember the last thing he did. Remember the last thing he did? He killed the guy and ran. His qualifications for this job are not mounting up to much. Have you ever returned back to the place where you're from? Some of you have lived here most of your life. Some of you have lived here your whole life. But when you go away for a long time and you come back, it's interesting what people remember. I uh, graduated from high school in 1993 and left Chesterfield County. I left Chesterfield County then. I, I came back for bits and pieces every once in a while and uh, then moved back here in 2007. So you can do the math there, okay? There was a little bit of time between. And in 2007, when I moved back, here's what people thought. They'd walk up to me, and they remembered the 17, 18-year-old kid. And I'd see people from my old church back in that day, and I'd see them at Kohl's or at Target or at Walmart. And they'd walk up, oh, hey, Brad. And they'd look me in the face, and they'd immediately look at my feet to see if I had shoes on. Because when I was 15, 16, 17 years old, I never wore shoes anywhere. And I'm like, I am now 40. It still happens. It still happens. Where people will walk, oh, you're wearing shoes. I'm 45. What? Don't 45-year-olds wear shoes sometimes? Why is that a big deal? But all they remember is what was. It would be difficult for me to go back to my home church and preach the sermons that I preach to you every week. A prophet does not have honor in his own hometown. Jesus would go back to his, aren't you Joseph's boy? This is the reality. Here's Moses. He's got to go back to the place where he grew up, and it's been 40 years, and the last thing he did was kill a man and run. Yeah, I'm thinking maybe he has a legitimate question here. But does his past disqualify him from being heard? Does your past disqualify you from being used by God. But how often do we say, hmm, 
you know, God couldn't use me because I'm, I've done this and I've made a mistake here and I've sinned here, but God redeems people. That's the whole theme of what He's doing is He's taking people out of their sin and bringing them into new life and He can use you by redeeming your past. In, in fact, let's just think about this for just a second. Who are you going to? You're going to people dead in their trespasses and sins. You're going to people who are caught up in the slavery of sin and death. Who better to go to them than someone that's been redeemed out of the same things they're struggling with? It's so often the things that God redeems you out of that He uses them to cause you to empathize and to be able to relate to the people who are in their sin. It could be that all that you've been through in your life is exactly what God was using to prepare you to be an instrument to take redemption to the people around you. It may be your past that actually qualifies you. But here he is with a past that's checkered and a position as a shepherd. Hey, if God wanted to use Moses, maybe he should have used him while he was still in Pharaoh's household. Not 40 years in the wilderness, the west end of the wilderness. But that was God's design. It wasn't his position that disqualified him from being heard because God showed up to use Moses. Whatever it is, whatever the fear is when it comes to qualification in your life and in my life that would cause us to say, I can't be the person that God is going to use is based on fear, not on faith. If we believe that God redeems people out of sin, He also redeems us to a purpose. He's taking them out of of Egypt, but he's taking them to a promised land. And he's, he's redeemed you to be useful in his kingdom. Moses feared because of his lack of qualification as God's messenger. But Moses also feared because of his inability to deliver the message. This is the next excuse. But Moses said to the Lord, verse 10, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongues. I'm no good at this. The qualifications is kind of like, I don't know what to say, and I'm not sure that anybody would listen to me. The inability is, I'm no good at the talking thing. See, some people think it's only the guys like me who can stand up and talk for 30 or 40 minutes and you know, talk about stuff and never run out of things to say. And you all go, how in the world do you never literally run out of things to say? right? And they think that it's only people like us, people who have been to seminary or Bible school and who know the Bible in and out. I study it too. And I find things every time I read it where I go, whoa. But for some reason we think that qualifications and, and ability are, are really what, what make us able to be used by God. And I want you to know that God's grace and mercy, God's redemptive power is enough to give you everything you need to be faithful the task to which he's called you. Look, look at his arguments. His first argument is, I'm not eloquent. A lack of eloquence would make him in a, in, unable to deliver the message. I'm going to go and I'm not going to be able to convince them. I don't have the ability in my own self. I'm not good at talking to people and convincing them. If they ask me questions, I'm not going to be able to answer them. You ever said that? I, I, don't, I have a hard time sharing the gospel because of the what if questions. I, I want to remind you how simple the message was that God gave Moses, go and tell them that the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has sent me, and I'm here by God's power to deliver you out of bondage and take you to Canaan. 
That's a pretty simple message. And when they ask you, who sent you, say, I am that I am. He didn't say, I want, to give, I want you to give a 12-point sermon on all of the intricacies of my nature. I want you to tell them, I am sent you. The Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You tell them that, and they'll believe you. God did not say, come up with a great treatise of how to convince people. It's not his eloquence or his cleverness that's going to convince people to believe. It's not your cleverness or my cleverness that's going to convince people into the kingdom of heaven. It's the power of God to draw people to believe that's going to bring people into the kingdom of God. We can come up with all kinds of clever ways to do it, but if the gospel isn't part of our message, then there is no power. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, what is the power of God into salvation for all who believe? Your clever message or is it the gospel? The gospel it's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. We have a simple message, a simple message of Jesus who has come to pursue a people for himself. He came and lived among us, dwelt among us, lived a sinless, righteous, holy life, the life we were called to that we could not live. And that he paid the penalty for all of our sin and unrighteousness and then rose again to prove that his payment was secure and accomplished its task. And now those who trust Him can have life forevermore. Restored, redeemed, back to a relationship with God. Moses here seems to have a legitimate problem in that he's no good at talking to people because he would have to speak to the elders, to the people, and to Pharaoh. And not only is then he his message unbelievable, but also he as a messenger might be unbelievable, but God has already said that he will be with him. We're called to go and make disciples of all nations, and Jesus said, and I will be with you. We're called to be his witnesses, and he will give us power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. We have his presence and his power to accomplish his mission, and yet fear causes us to stop. Fear causes us to disobey. Moses feared because of his lack of qualification. He feared because of his inability to deliver God's message. God has called us to take the redemption message to the world. What fears are keeping you from obeying? What fears are keeping us from obedience? The, the ones I hear most often are, I'm not qualified. I didn't go to seminary. I didn't go to Bible college. I, I don't know enough. What if people ask me questions? I don't know what to say. What if I say the wrong thing? I, I want you to hear this great truth, and it's right out of this passage of Scripture, and it's echoed again in Scripture through what Jesus tells his disciples. I want you to see that God requires obedience not based on our sufficiency for the task, but based on his sufficiency. So when we say, I can't, he says, I know. Isn't that good news? You're not surprising God when you say you can't. He already knew you couldn't. He was never planning on you doing it in your own power in the first place. He was never calling you to something that he was not going to show his sufficiency and his power behind it. So for each of Moses' problems, each of Moses' excuses, God puts his sufficiency on display. Look first at what he does. So the first one is 
They won't believe me. They won't listen to my voice. They won't say that God has met with me or that I've seen God. So God puts his power on display to show the believability of Moses' message. He puts his power on display to show how believable this message actually is. Look at how he does it. He says, what's that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. When he throws it on the ground, it turns into a serpent. And Moses ran from it. And the Lord said to Moses, grab it by the tail. And when he grabs it by the tail, it turns back into the staff. This first sign that God gives is not meant to be the thing that causes people to believe. It's meant to lend legitimacy to everything that Moses is actually saying. People aren't going to go, wow, Moses can turn staffs into snakes. We should follow him. The idea here is the sign is there to lend legitimacy to the message. God showed up to me in a burning bush and told me that I've come to deliver you out of bondage into his promised land. But he puts his power on display to show the believability of that message. The first sign with the snake shows the power over Egypt, over Pharaoh, and over satanic forces. This is a powerful sign because you've probably seen the, the carvings of Pharaoh or you've seen pictures of Pharaohs and they always have the cobra coming out of their headpiece, right? Because the cobra was a sign of power in Egypt. But it's also a symbolic reality in Scripture, the snake was a symbol of Egypt and Pharaoh, but it was also a symbol of evil and Satan. If you remember back to the Garden of Eden, the serpent is the one who deceived Adam and Eve. And here, God is saying, I, I don't have an enemy that roams around and does whatever he wants. I can grab him by the tail anytime I want. I have power over Pharaoh, over Egypt, over the enemy. It's a reiteration of the promise to crush the head of the serpent from the garden. And as Moses grabs the snake by the tail, he's reminded that God is in control and gives his messenger authority. And nothing will befall his messenger unless the Lord wills it to happen. He can know that he is protected, that God is with him. The second sign is this. Put your hand inside your cloak. Pull it back out. Leprosy. Put it back in. Pull it back out. Clean. Leprosy was running rampant in Egypt at this time. And God is showing he has power over plagues, over sickness, and healing. Leprosy, according to the Jewish people, has made someone ceremonially unclean, that they could not be in the presence of God. They couldn't make sacrifice. And God has the power to make them clean. In fact, the Jewish tradition would say that people who have leprosy, the only way you can be healed from leprosy is God healing you. No doctor could help you. So for God to bring that healing, he's showing his power over plagues, over sickness, and over healing. He's showing that he is the power over Egypt. He's going to put his stamp on this. The third sign is, if they don't listen to the first one or the second one, take some water from the Nile and dump it on the ground, and it will turn into blood. Here, this is the most powerful of all three signs. This shows God's power over false gods and over life itself. Think about the Nile. The Nile was the source of life itself for the people of Egypt. And God is saying, I control the waters. There were at least three gods, three false gods that the, that the Egyptians worshipped that had ties to the Nile River. These multiple gods of Egypt were connected to the Nile, and God has power over all of them. He's going to reiterate this with the plagues that we're going to see later on in the book. 
He is the one true God, and each of these signs is meant to show His power and His provision for His people. God puts His power on display to show the believability of Moses' message, and still, Moses is afraid. Still, Moses says, I'm not good enough to do this. So God then reminds Moses of his creative power and his teaching to display his ability to deliver the message. You see, it's not going to be you, it's not going to be me who are going to deliver the message ultimately. We speak on his behalf. And look at what he tells Moses when he says, hey, you know, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you showed up. You didn't just miraculously give me the ability to speak well. I'm stammering here, God. And the Lord said to him, verse 11, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? What's he saying there? He's saying, I made you. I know what your problems are. I made you this way. I made you exactly the way I want you to be to accomplish my purposes. Why would you not trust me? Verse 12, Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. God made Moses for this task. Could it be that the very weaknesses that you perceive are the things that God wants to use for his purposes? And he made you that way for that specific reason? Could it be the thing that you think is a detriment is actually a great benefit in the kingdom? Could it be that to display his power he wants to use your weakness? He goes so far as to say, I will teach you what you shall speak. I'm going to give you the words to say. He reiterates this again, even after Moses says, please send someone else. He said, okay, I'll send Aaron. He'll speak for you, but I'm still speaking through you. I'm going to give you the words to speak. You tell Aaron. God was going to give him words to say. What we need to understand is if God has called us to a task, he's going to empower us for that task. God empowers his people to speak his word in order to accomplish his purposes. And this is not just for Moses. God made the same promise to his disciples. Jesus said in John chapter 14, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You struggle with what to say in that moment, the Holy Spirit will give you utterance, Jesus says. You struggle with what to, remembering what I've taught you, the Holy Spirit will bring to mind and to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Get rid of that fear, because the Holy Spirit, the Helper, is with you as his child. So you say, I I know I should talk to my friend about Christ, but I don't know what to say. And he says, call on me. I'll, I'll give you the words to say. In the moment. In the time. Prepare. Know all of those things. Come up with the five steps that you want to talk to them about. But in the moment, the Holy Spirit is going to give you the utterance of what to say to that person. Why? Because you're not convincing anyone into the kingdom. He's doing the work of drawing hearts to him. Fear keeps us from obedience when we focus on our own inability instead of God's overwhelming ability. This is Moses' problem, and it's our problem too. Think about what God might be calling you to. In fact, just think about what God has called you to and that you're not being obedient. 
What keeps you from doing it? Fear. And that fear is when we focus on our own inability instead of focusing on God's overwhelming ability. You see, it's not just obedience in the tasks that God has called us to that where we fail. It's in our ultimate need and in our ultimate reality. Leviticus chapter 19 and 1 Peter chapter 1 tell us this. God says, be holy for I am holy. You want to find a place in Scripture where you're insufficient? There you go. Be holy for I am holy. You want to talk about insufficiency for the task? I'm supposed to be holy because God is holy? If there was ever an indicator of our inability, that's it. Be holy, for I am holy. We read earlier in the service, who gets to ascend the hill? Those who are holy. Those with clean hands and pure hearts. Well, I guess I'm not ascending a hill. Right? Anybody with me on this? How do I get up the hill? Because it ain't happening if it's clean hands and a pure heart. But the good news is this. God not only is sufficient for every task, He's sufficient for our greatest need, which is coming before Him and being in His presence forever. That He can restore us to that right relationship. He can bring us and give us righteousness. I love Scripture because it does not pull any punches. It, A, doesn't take its hero and white, heroes and whitewash them. Right? You, you can go back through all of Genesis, remember? Those are all the heroes. And you're like, those are heroes? Yes, Abraham selling his wife, pretty much. He's a hero of the faith. David, we read in Scripture, is a great man of God, a man after God's own heart, who's a murderer and an adulterer. The Bible doesn't try to whitewash the heroes. But God also does not coddle His children telling us how awesome we are. God is not a middle school student's parent with a bumper sticker on the back of their car. God's minivan would not be riding around going, my kid is a straight-A student at such and such elementary school. No, He says, you are all dead in your trespasses and sins, and while you were my enemy, I died for you. He doesn't coddle his children, bringing us close, telling us how awesome we are. He puts on display how awesome he is because he loves us in spite of our sin. He loves us in our sin, and he draws us out of our sin so that we can be with him forever. You see, Jesus fulfills everything needed for our holiness. Everything necessary for our holiness is found in Christ. Fear keeps us from obedience when we focus on our inability instead of God's overwhelming ability. And here's the good news. Jesus is able to take care of everything we need, including our greatest need, our right relationship with God. Hebrews chapter 7 tells us he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. I want you to hear this good news today. Believer, I want you to hear that if Jesus is sufficient to take care of our greatest need, He is sufficient to equip you for the task to which you've been called. If Jesus is sufficient to take care of our greatest need, He is sufficient for the task to which you have been called. He is sufficient to give you everything that you need, the qualifications to do it, the ability to do it, the words to do it. He is sufficient. You can obey knowing that He will empower you to do the task that He's called you to. 
And if you're here today and you're trying really, really hard to honor God and trying really, really hard, but you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, I want you to stop trying. Stop trying. Stop trying to prove something. Stop trying to show your strength. Stop trying to show how strong you are and rest in His ability. Admit your inability. I cannot honor God without Jesus. And call out to Him. Call out to Him today in faith. Let's pray. Father, I pray that today we would call out in faith to the one who has given himself for us, has humbled himself to death on a cross for us, to show how unable we are that it, to save ourselves. It would take the Son of God, the sinless Lamb, to die in our place. Lord, cause that to rock our hearts and our minds today. For one who's here who has never trusted Jesus, cause that truth now by your power to change their heart and mind so that they would come to trust the one who has given himself for them. For those of us who have trusted Jesus, draw us to more faith today to recognize just how heinous our sin is, how unable we are to make ourselves right with God, that it would take the sinless, spotless Son of God to die in our place. Thank you for your great mercy and grace in doing it. Thank you that now we know that you are sufficient to provide for everything so that not only do we have life eternal, but we can obey. We can walk in obedience, not with fear, but in faith. Now cause us by your power to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today,